My name is Pedro Mujabafid, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement or other person. Alright, let's start the show. Hey everyone, with us today we have Dr. Kate Rankin, who is a cardiology registrar. Thank you for joining us, Kate. My pleasure. Can you tell us the story of how you've come to be in cardiology? Um, okay, so I mean, going back, I was raised in a regional area of Victoria, in Shepparton, in northern Victoria. Um, and uh, decided I wanted to do medicine probably at the age of about 15. Uh, my plan when I started medical school was to be a rural GP because um, I liked the idea of, I didn't want to stay in Melbourne long term and liked the idea of having a well-rounded career in a regional area. And as I, as I progressed through medical school and my junior years of um, uh, you know, intern and residency, I realised that I really loved the hospital environment, really liked working with inpatients and decided to do physician training instead. And as a second year resident, I did my first job in cardiology, general cardiology to start with at the Alfred Hospital, which I really loved. And then the following year, I undertook a residency position uh, as the heart failure and transplantation registrar at the Alfred, which was probably the most enjoyable job I'd done to date at that point in time. I liked with cardiology that there's a lot of preventative medicine involved. I like that there's a lot of promoting health as well as treating illness. Um, I like that you do a lot of fixing people. You know, we do a lot of um, treating acute illnesses, giving people really good outcomes and making their life generally better and helping them to make changes to continue to improve their health in the future. I like that there's a lot of procedures involved in cardiology as well. I really enjoy being able to use my hands and acquire physical skills as well as uh, a lot of, you know, clinical work uh, involved, interesting clinical cases. I've particularly got a passion for heart failure and echocardiography um, as I find the physiology extremely interesting. So they were the things that drew me to us, definitely. And you mentioned initially you wanted to be a, uh, a rural GP, but then you've come to love cardiology. Was there anything else along the way that you considered? Um, I did like renal. I like, again, I liked, I've always liked... Um, uh, physiology. So yeah. I find cardiac physiology very interesting. I always found renal physiology very interesting as well. Um, but cardio, I've, I've been the sort of person who sort of likes everything. I genuinely yeah. enjoy medicine and I've always found something enjoyable and fascinating about each subspecialty that I've been exposed to as a junior. But cardiology was the first time that I was like, you know what, I could do this every day for the rest of my life. It was the first job where I was because I'd always sort of thought maybe I'd just do general medicine. So I'd have, you know, that variety career, do a bit of ev something different every day. And then cardiology came along and I went, you know what, I, I really love this and I could sink my teeth into this every day of my career. So that's the reason for, for the um, career choice. And you mentioned some of the, I guess, the roles that you've had in the different, I guess, units. Mm. What are your current roles besides being the re a registrar? Okay, so well, being a cardiology registrar takes up a lot of time, so yep. it's full time. Um, I've just finished my cardiology training officially, so I now have my fellowship. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Well, I have my um, uh, fellow with the College of Physicians, which is yep. great. Um, I also undertake uh, teaching roles, um, doing research, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as my clinical work goes, it's all working as a cardiology registrar. It has been for the last three years. 
Uh, what would you say is the time frame for getting onto a cardiology program? How okay. competitive is it at the moment with regards to the other specialties? So look, it changes every year. Cardiology has always been quite a popular subspecialty. Um, so my advice to people who find it interesting is, you know, make that known from an early date. Try and get yourself um, uh, opportunities to work on cardiology departments as a junior a member of junior medical staff. Um, ask about research opportunities, anything to sort of get yourself known to cardiologists and also to expose yourself to the subspecialty and figure out whether that's truly what you're keen on. Um, certainly the way I went through, um, it's taken me, I graduated from medical school in 2008. So I was an intern in 2009 and I'm now finished in at the start of 2017. I um, went through internship and then was on physician training after my internship, which is usually six years. So um, some physician training, um, all basic physician training is three years and then advanced physician training course um, courses are either two or three years depending on the subspecialty. Cardiology in particular is three years. So the quickest you could do it in, it would be seven years. It's taken mm-hmm. me eight simply because I um, took a year off before I sat my basic physician exams to go and uh, do locum work in the Northern Territory and in Indigenous communities um, just to you know, get a bit of variety and... Um, um, see a bit more of the country so seven years would be the, the quickest time so it is a, you know certainly a time heavy commitment yeah but you know all through that time you're still you know developing as a clinician you're still making an income and slowly climbing the ladder of experience and um, slowly developing more and more um, knowledge and confidence and um, you know every day that's spent at work as a junior doctor um, is never a day wasted so would you say that at the moment you need further qualifications like PhDs and whatnot in order to get in? Or? Yeah, so the way it is officially, I mean, uh, having a PhD in cardiology is definitely, it's especially if you wanted to work in the public tertiary hospital system in Melbourne, is relatively essential doing a PhD. Um, I'm a big believer in, you know, you only get to live once and that you should spend your time doing things that you're passionate about and things that you enjoy. I'm, um, it is an expectation after your cardiology training is finished that you'll do some form of post, um, post-doctoral, post-fellowship training. Um, so I'm going to Toronto for two years. I've been lucky enough to be offered a job. I'm doing a year of um, echo fellowship and then a year of heart failure and transplantation mm-hmm. fellowship. And then my plan is to return to uh, Geelong to work long-term, which is where I did my first two years of cardiology training and absolutely loved both the hospital and the living environment down there and um but yeah the the phd thing is it's something that's becoming more and more expected Mm -hmm. um so i would have people suggest to people who are keen on a career in cardiology to anticipate particularly if you wanted to work in the public hospital system in melbourne that um having a phd is something that's relatively essential nowadays and for someone who may not necessarily want to do cardiology right now, but is on their list of things, yep. for example, if you have uh, research in other fields, does that still count favorably towards? Look, I think showing an interest and participating in research is always of value. I mean, obviously yep. having cardiology-based research is always going to give you an edge. But I think you know involvement in any form of research project and having your name on any sort of publication is never going to be a bad thing. So research is one of those things that we do get taught it a bit in med school, but it's very much a learn by doing sort of situation. And I think the more and more you get exposed to research as a junior doctor, the experience that you gather and confidence in doing things like data collection, data analysis 
um, and writing up projects is very, very important. And I certainly think that it would never be an unfavorable thing, no matter what discipline, to have some research on your on your CV. Yeah. Make sure to keep in touch with us through social media. Our handle is at the Med Collab. That's T H E M E D C O L A B on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release. Now back to the show. Can you tell us a bit about your specialty and what your uh, day as a registrar looks yep. like? So um, I'm not going to lie, cardiology registrar days are long and the on-call is a bit tricky sometimes. Um, uh, so my day on a normal week um, you sort of usually rotate between four different types of jobs um, on a week-to-week basis. So usually one is being on referrals, so for emergency department and in, into unit referrals within the hospital. One is being the ward registrar, managing all the cardiology inpatient. Um, one is being the echocardiography registrar, so that involves anything from... Um, uh, reporting transthoracic echoes, performing transesophageal echoes, reporting halter monitors, um, scanning, doing transthoracic scanning yourself, um, doing stress tests, things like that. And then usually the fourth job is being a cath lab registrar, so actually participating in performing angiography. Um, so you usually um, ro- uh, rotate between all of those yep. um sub jobs um a usual day's work is you know 7 30 8 o'clock till five five days a week and then on call depending on your registrar set up one in three one in four cardiology registrar on call can be quite busy there's a lot of phone calls there's a lot of admissions um obviously there's um presentation or presenting to work after hours for um STEMIs um that need activation of the cath lab or for any unstable patient, or for doing procedures like pericardiocentesis, temporary pacing wires, which granted are less common. Um, so I would say that you know the hours aren't unmanageable, but it is a busy job. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that anyone considering a career in cardiology needs to be aware of the fact that particularly the three years as a registrar are very busy. Um, it's a steep learning curve, but you learn a lot. Um, and I think, you know, if you're truly, if it's the right profession for you, the hours won't worry you so much because mm. you do genuinely enjoy yourself when you're at work. And how much of your time is split between clinical and non-clinical work, would you say? Most of my work is clinical. About 80% of my hours would be clinical, um, mainly because you're so busy. And then the research stuff, I do get a bit of time in the afternoons. is not protected necessarily, but do get time in the afternoons to dedicate to research or writing up articles. Or um, some of that's also dedicated after hours as well. Yeah. Besides, obviously, saving lives, what, what do you say is the most rewarding part or the most enjoyable part about cardiology? Um, I think that we do a lot of making people better. I yeah. like that. Um, I like that I get to ac- acquire uh, a set of skills as far as um, you know, being able to do an angiogram, being able to do a transesophageal echo, being able to do a pericardiocentesis, that's a very rewarding thing. I think um, that you did to deal with the spectrum of some very critically unwell patients um, and can make a very big difference in their clinical outcomes based on your quick decision-making and quick intervention. Um, and I think just in general, there's a lot of variety to the job there's a good balance of both um, hands-on work, clinical work, research work. It's quite a you know 
varied job with a lot of opportunities depending on what you're particularly interested in. Like within cardiology itself, I have colleagues who are extremely keen on being interventionalists and want to spend as much time in the cath lab as possible. Whereas for me, when I've got spare time, it's all about reporting echoes, reading up on echoes. Um, I start set up heart failure clinics in Geelong to improve early our um, uh, uh, readmission rates that were too high. So there's a lot of opportunities to get involved in whatever sort of in the community you're passionate as well. About. Yeah, and I mean, look, there's always opportunities to get yourself involved in the community, improving communication with GPs. There's yeah, plenty of opportunities for that. You mentioned that you like a lot of these procedural things. Mm-hmm. Did you ever consider surgery? No. No. Um, I think, I, don't get me wrong, I like the procedures, but the puzzle is what I like more than anything else. Yeah. The physiology, the patient in front of me. I think I found my first couple of years of med school fascinating but frustrating because I learned all of these incredible scientific concepts but couldn't apply them to something tactile in front of me. So when I started my clinical years... And all of the, that knowledge I'm accumulated for the first couple of years was coming to life in front of me in the form of a patient that I was looking after. Um, I just, that's how, I like the science, seeing the science applied like that. And I like that I get to talk to people. That mm-hmm. was the main thing for me. I'm known for being very chatty on my ward rounds because I, I genuinely like the company of other people. It's why I picked medicine instead of another scientific discipline. Yep. Because I... I couldn't imagine a career where I wasn't involved with people on a day-to-day basis. And that's the, the biggest thing for me. Cardiology uh, innately is some of the like the presentations such as STEMIs and whatnot are quite acute and very mm-hmm. time sensitive. Mm. Do you say, would you say it takes a particular type of person to do cardiology or to thrive in cardiology? I think that everyone can adapt to a different environment. I don't think I've met someone before where I've gone, oh, they wouldn't be able to cope with this. Or any- I think that's, I never write off anyone's possibilities mm-hmm. as a human. Um, I think it's something that, you know, there are some people who are naturally on the ball, very, you know, quick thinkers. Um, and there are some people that over the course of their first year of training develop the confidence that they need to make those quick thinking decisions. Like it's not a sink or swim situation. You're always backed up by your consultants and things like that. Um I think one of the most important things as a junior doctor is not only being confident and being um, able to make decisions quickly, but also to recognize your um, limitations as a junior doctor. So one of the most dangerous things about a junior doctor is someone who doesn't realize that they need to escalate things or that they need help. That's what consultants are there for. Yeah. You know, we want people to escalate their concerns or queries about a patient no matter how trivial they are to someone more senior if they don't feel the um feel feel confident to make the decision on their own so i would say i wouldn't say i've ever met a person where i go oh they wouldn't hack a career in cardiology but i think some people's personalities are set up or matched for for different lifestyles and different the the way they approach medicine the way they think about medicine um but I, I mean, I wasn't planning on being a cardiologist ever, but I've had a lot of people come to me in my sort of end of my basic physician years saying to me, cardiology is a perfect fit for UK. And I never really actually asked them why, because I think that, you know, we're all animals. I think we can adapt to any environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that I've ever found a person where I'd go, oh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't cope in cardiology. You couldn't hack it. It's not yeah. about that. It's just, is that right for you? Is mm-hmm. that what you want out of your life? Yeah. Because it's a long, it's a long working life. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. Very true. 
Uh, what aspect of cardiology or what aspect of your job do you struggle with the most and making it, I guess, as specific to cardiology as yeah. possible? Um, I, I find you know, I'm used to it now, but at the start I found the sleep deprivation hard. Um, not that it's you know like that all the time, but if you have a couple of bad on calls in a row, you build up a bit of a sleep debt and it, it was difficult in the first few months to you know have been up three quarters of the night and still function for a full working day and be mm-hmm. on the ball and be sharp. I think that was challenging. Um, Do you get support for that? Oh, well, definitely. I mean, if, if you'd had a really horrible night on call, as registrars particularly, we all back each other up. So if yeah. someone had had a really horrible night on call and had no sleep, we'd all sort of rally around and try and take over their workload to get them out of work as soon as possible the following day so they could go home to sleep because safety is extremely important. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, sometimes the frequency of, you know, and busyness of weekend on calls, it does, you know, interrupt your social life somewhat. My, my husband's non-medical, so... Um, but I suppose the, the lucky thing I've had is that we've been together since I was in high school. So he's adapted to the environment of my job just the same as I have. Mm. He's um, slowly been introduced He's slowly been in, weaned in just yeah. like I have. So I, I don't find that as problematic. I think the main thing is, yeah, just long hours and um, sometimes feeling like you're a bit consumed by your work. But yeah. that's only a, you know, a passing thought because then you'll have a nice weekend off where you go to the beach and... You reset yourself and you're yeah. fine, ready to go again on Monday morning. So I, I think those those periods of time are only fleeting, but they, they do come across. Yeah. Please make sure to complete the survey for this episode. We want to make sure the episodes are as useful as possible and the surveys help us to monitor whether they're making an impact on our fellow peers. It only takes 30 seconds and it helps more than you can imagine. The link can be found on our Facebook and our blog. How do you see cardiology changing in the next five, 10 years or beyond? Oh, look, I think cardiology is something that's changing exponentially on a year-by-year basis. I mean, just looking at what we were doing 10 years ago. I think the big things for the future, obviously, structural interventions like TAVIs and MitraClips and things like that are going to um, explode you know, exponentially. Improvements in device therapy with um, implantable cardio defibrillators, hopefully some more improvements in heart failure therapy, um, but yeah, I think they're the main things. A lot so of a lot the of structural th- device therapy things, are, all the new technologies are definitely where it's at. Yeah. So I guess a lot of change in work for like an interventionalist, would yeah, you say? Yeah, and also for EP. Um, and I mean, a lot of the echo technologies are improving exponentially as well. We're now doing four-dimensional echo and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, that's going to always make improvements as well. As the technology improves, you know, the we improve as well. Yeah. Sure. You mentioned that promoting health to patients was one of the aspects mm. that you really liked. Do you find that they are quite receptive to it? Oh, look, you always have some people that don't want to hear what you're telling them. And then yeah. you always have some people who you really take the opportunity to... Because, um, I mean, usually when I'm first involved with the patients, when they've come into hospital with a heart attack hopefully a small one but sometimes a very serious one yeah and unfortunately that's sometimes the first the, the catalyst for people to make changes whether it be to improve their exercise lose some weight stop smoking stop drinking so much things like that um so look a lot of the time people are really receptive to those lifestyle changes and have already sort of made those decisions on their own once faced with you know yep. this serious health consequence and then there are some people that it takes a little bit more time for them to accept that the the role that their poor lifestyle choices have made in what's happened to them medically. 
And so it's something that, you know, continues to be continually revisited as an outpatient and followed up. So certainly it doesn't always, um, you know, fall on, fall on receptive ears. Um, but it's something that, you know, as our, what, uh, our job, just as much as being in the hospital environment, inpatient environment is the management of outpatients as well. And so following up those lifestyle changes, keeping in mind that, you know, behavioural change can be quite a difficult thing. So mm-hmm. a lot of the time when you're dealing, particularly with people who are trying to quit smoking, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. And, it, you know, as a, a physician, following them up as an outpatient, it's all about us revisiting how they're going with that, encouraging them, reassuring them when they've had a setback that they can get back on the horse and try again. And But, um, yeah, I liked that it wasn't, that cardiology wasn't all about the treatment of disease it was also about the promotion of health yeah. i suppose is what i'm trying to say like i like the idea of being able to equip people with the knowledge to try and get the best out of themselves and get the best out of their existence particularly when you're looking after slightly older people who've got children or grandchildren yeah. and um and i think you know people tend to overcomplicate in this modern day environment i think we're trying to overcomplicate things like diets and exercise and there's this new fad and that new fad and at the end of the day you know a healthy lifestyle is really uncomplicated it's just a change that's got to be made and stuck to yeah um and you know there's no shortcuts around it. there's no fads around it you just just gotta do it, it. you just gotta do it yeah and we touched on outpatients just then how much of your work is outpatient work it depends on the hospital you're working at. So as a registrar, you usually do maybe one clinic a fortnight, one clinic a week. Okay. Um, so here, for example, I'm doing one clinic every three weeks. Oh, sorry, two clinics every three weeks. Uh, the job before, I did two clinics every three or four weeks. Um, the job before that, I did one clinic a week. So it's, it's, variable, it's variable depending on the hospital that you're working at. Um, and some of the clinics are just general cardiology outpatient clinics. So you could see anything from someone who's been having blackouts, someone who's had a heart attack and is having a follow-up following his inpatient admission, someone who's been having angina who's been referred in for the G- from the GP do they need an angiogram, someone who's got you know um, refractory hypertension, someone who's got poorly controlled cholesterol levels, someone who, you know, the list goes on and on and yeah, on. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and we also touched on the subspecialties. So you mm. mentioned interventionalists, heart failures. What are the yeah. other subspecialties that people can go into? I mean, look, so there's the traditional subspecialties of intervention, electrophysiology, so pacing, ablation, arrhythmia management, um, things like that, and then um, heart failure and imaging. So echo, MRI and CT traditionally. And then as we become a more you know, micromanaging world or you know micro specializing world within those worlds there are subspecialties as well so there uh-huh. are some interventionalists that just do structural aortic valve intervention or there are some you know ep people that just are specialists in pulmonary vein isolation for atrial fibrillation so the traditional four would be heart failure electrophysiology intervention and imaging um i'm going to sort of dabble between two with both heart failure and imaging mainly doing focusing on echocardiography um but yeah i think the main thing is there's no hard and fast rules again you can find what you enjoy and focus on a skill and um, And you mentioned yours was because of the physiology that you picked this specialty yeah and i like um i like the chronicity of heart failure i've always liked the idea of having my patients that i look after for years and years and years like i like the feeling of knowing a patient backwards and them feeling like they know me and trusting in my 
in my management of them on a long-term basis. That's what I like about heart failure because it is a more chronic thing as opposed to, you know, someone who's had a heart attack, has some coronary disease, you do a stent, you follow them up for maybe four or five years, make sure everything's going okay and then they don't necessarily need to keep seeing you. But heart failure, it's, a, you know, an ongoing chronic problem and certainly a problem that's becoming more and more important in, um, in our ageing society. Yeah. Uh, switching tax to work-life balance, mm. you took some time off during your year. Is that yep. something that you would recommend? Yeah, look, I mean, um, it's, again, a personal decision. I think it's definitely not a bad thing. It was never, I don't think it was ever viewed negatively um, by people as far as for job applications and things like that. Um, I think if you're going to take a year off, have a plan as to what you're going to do. Um my plan originally was to work in the in the Northern Territory for six months, which I did, and then go on a six-month holiday with my then-boyfriend, now-husband. Unfortunately, he became very sick and we were unable to travel, so I worked for the entire year. So it wasn't really a year off. Yeah. Um, but I you know, used that year to – I worked in a lot of different states. I did a lot of Indigenous health um, work. Um, and learnt a lot of skills and it definitely was not a bad thing and it's sometimes you know a bit of a refreshing thing to use that year off to take a bit of time off um, but also use that year to work in different environments Um, some people take the time off to do a research project or but you know I think if you find something that you you know want to spend the time doing um, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that at all yeah Yeah. because the physician exam once you get involved is it's a very big 18 months it's grueling and draining and um it's an incredible achievement once it's done but it is a very very diff- challenging 18 months still to this day the most challenging thing i've ever done okay so has your work-life balance improved after that point would you say uh yes yeah, so i'd say my work-life balance was really poor while i was studying for the exam i um you know had my nose in the books i was either at work or reading textbooks and um so my work-life balance was not great for those 18 months certainly now i mean the the work balance is somewhat skewed towards work because of my on call hours, but certainly I make a very concerted effort that when I'm not at work, I'm not doing work. other things that I enjoy. Um, so again, because my husband's non medical, I do get that release away from medical world when I'm mm-hmm. at home because it's not his world. I've got um, extremely close friends from high school who are not medical who I spend a lot of time with. Um, I have a few hobbies. I play the violin. I've, I've always played the violin since I was four and I play in local orchestras. That's always been my release from whatever academic thing I've been doing. Play a bit of sport, do some exercise. I've got a dog, so she keeps me company. So, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think it matters what you do, but, you know, you're, there are a lot of people who, you know, well, for all of us, medicine is a passion. I mean, it's definitely a labour of love. We put a lot of years of commitment into our occupation but I think we don't we should remember not to let just that define who we are as a human being and it doesn't matter what you like to do whether you want to play cricket or you want to do watercolor painting or whatever just it's important to have something that makes your soul feel full and Mm -hmm. turns your brain off for a little bit or turns your brain to something else and I think that's a, a very very healthy thing and also you know maintaining relationships with people outside the medical world it's very easy for us to just socialize with only medical people and there's nothing wrong with that but you know keeping in touch with family and you know making efforts to catch up with friends who are not medical and things like that is you know maintaining those relationships is extremely important and remembering that you know the the work is very important but it is work and Mm -hmm. you know having a life outside of the hospital is a very important thing Yeah. yeah 
And you mentioned that your uh, workouts aren't necessarily predictable, especially mm. with your on-call. Mm. What would you say is a good week in terms of the number of hours you work and a bad week? Okay. Um, so the probably the last fortnight was pretty busy. So my usual um, core hours for the week are 90 hours a fortnight, and that's of rostered time, so 45 hours a week. And then if I did a weekend in that, that's another 10 hours of rost time. So say 100, 90 to 100 rostered hours a fortnight. And then I had a, in that you'll do maybe four nights on call in two weeks. Um, and I had a particularly busy four nights on call. So I had about 25, 27 hours worth of on call. Um, so all up, you know, a bad fortnight would be 130 hours. A yeah. good one is 90. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's variable. It's quite variable. Yeah, it's variable. But I mean, look, the, the bad ones are not that frequent. They're yeah. not that frequent. And um, yeah, there's a lot of weekends. We have a few recalls here and there. Um, and, you know, your usual 90 rostered hours. So it's not too bad. But it is, you know, the on-call is busier than some of my other physician colleagues like renal regs or, um, or respiratory registrars who it's very uncommon for them to need to come in physically to the hospital in the middle of the night they're often you know called about yep. a question or an unwell patient but needing to physically come into the hospital is much less likely for them than it is for us do you find it difficult to manage that like getting in up in the middle of the night and then coming in or is that you just adapt you to just it? get used to it just it's just it. you know again we're human we adapt to stuff um it was challenging at the start but i've i've got used to it now and I'm very good at waking up and being awake straight being away. Alert. And then what I'm worse at now is because when you come into the hospital and you're on the ball and you're thinking and you're doing stuff and then you go home and try and go back to sleep, that's switching what I'm really... Off. Switching off is actually harder. <laughs> yeah. But again, it was hard maybe the first few months, but you just get used to it. Yeah. And I like to think that, you know, when I start a family in the future, I'll be all over those middle of the night feeds. That'll be nothing. Easy. Uh, last question I had is what advice would you have wanted to know as an intern or I guess if there's a story that you have as an as a junior doctor or as an intern that's kind of shaped um I think the main thing I had some great men I did my junior years at the Alpha and I had some wonderful mentors there and I think I was always told that you know always keep in mind that you can design the life that you want so I think sometimes in the medical profession we feel like there's a path that we have to go down or a set of rule, you know, a set of we have to do this and this, this and this order. Um, but I think at the end of the day, everyone's got to remember that it's their life and that you know you only get to live it once. Um, and I don't think there's any hard and fast rules. I've had friends who've gone and worked for Medsons on Frontier for two years. I've had friends who've gone into politics. I've had friends who've. Um, done work for the AMA, gone on the board of the MDA. I've done heaps of different things, whether it be political work, volunteer work, educational work, doing things like um, you know masters of public health, masters of medical education, things like that. So everyone's, you know, just always leave yourself open to opportunities. Don't streamline yourself. You know, don't feel like you have to do things in a certain order because that's the way everyone else does it. There's nothing wrong with you finding what you're passionate about and doing, you know, and you can change your mind as well. That's the other thing. Do you find it's more difficult to change your mind now given, I guess, the influx of students coming through and everything becoming bottlenecked? Yeah, well, I mean, I can't comment on that personally because it's not something I've had to worry about because I'm beyond that. And I, yeah. I do understand that that's something that concerns the current... 
um, set of medical students. Um, and I think, you know, if you find something that you're passionate about and something that you want to do, you know, doing putting as much as you can into trying to do things that will make you stand out from the crowd will always help. So as I talked about, you know, those research opportunities, um, you know, spending some time. If you're a medical student, you're interested in cardiology, going up to the cardiology reg and going, look, I'm really keen. Can I come and watch a toe? Can I come and come into the cath lab? You know, all of those little things, that enthusiasm always gets picked up on. I mean, I notice anyway. So, um, and I think the other thing is just to, to really enjoy your work and always remember why we're doing it. I mean, why it should be is for our patients that we're, we've chosen a life of public service. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it. I think Wonderful. just, just not feeling like, you know, you have to, you're allowed to change your mind and just make sure whatever you are doing with your time that you're enjoying it and getting the most out of it. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. My really pleasure. appreciate it. No problem. Thanks. Thank you, Kate. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If there's any doctors you'd like us to interview or if there's any questions you'd like asked, please shoot us a message. We listen and respond to every single message that comes through. All right, guys. See you next week.